Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm your host, Marcus Gillis, and we're recording live from Banjo, Colorado. Population growing. Welcome to episode 19 of the Live from Banjo podcast. Konnichiwa, Tomodachi. It means hello, friend. Sure, Crystal. Just keep giving me that look. I've got my co-host of the wrap-up, Crystal, here with me tonight. How are you doing, Crystal? Hey, guys. I'm doing really good. You look pretty. Well, thank you. I've been trying. You have very tan skin. Over the top tan skin. For the amount of snow that we've had in the last couple of weeks. Every time we go on vacation, I overdo it with the self-tan foamer. And uh, I won't won't lie, it's it's over the top. But you're you're pretty ripped. I've also been working really hard in the gym, doing all the squats, man. You've been working on your fitness. Uh, yeah. That. What, what was that for Ricky? How'd that go? Uh, that was how it went. And that's all we need to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Hello, friends. For those of you that are new to the show, glad you made it. And for those returning, welcome home. Today, we're here to talk about Taylor Meyer, singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist in the incredibly talented and fresh camp with two A's. As I said, Taylor is the lead singer for camp and is known far and wide for his silky, smooth, and yet raspy voice. Can you have a smooth, raspy voice? I'm rolling with it because Taylor has that. Taylor is an Ohio born and raised kid and together with childhood friend Evan Westfall, who plays the banjo, also commonly associated with their sound, co-founded the band Camp. I love the banjo and I love this band. Taylor and Evan grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Taylor made his way after high school to Athens, Ohio to attend college to study ceramics, but abandoned college to focus on music, and his high school bandmate came up to join him. They ended up recording an incredible and improbable self-titled independent release in 2016. They uploaded their song Ohio to Spotify, and it grew, and it grew quickly. One day they looked, seeing 5,000 downloads, going back and seeing 38,000 downloads, They were quickly being added to multiple Spotify playlists. This all continued to power their meteoric rise in multiple headlining tours prior to in-person live concerts being thwarted by the pandemic. Vagabond, another song off their first album, now has over 60 million listens on Spotify and their trajectory seems little slowed by the pandemic. They have recently finished recording their fourth LP in just five years and as live shows are beginning to pop back up, Fans are clamoring to see camp in person once more. And if you haven't heard camp, please follow the link in the show notes to go get their albums. You can check out a few of my favorites on the Live from Banjo Season 1 guest mixtape on Spotify. Or just go wherever you get your music and type in camp. Two ways. Thank you so much for everyone that is listening, both new and old guests. Please tell your friends, family, and complete strangers about the show. And again, please follow us on Instagram at Live from Banjo Podcast. And please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, remember to set up your reminders for the show, whatever platform you choose to listen, so you never miss an episode. All right, Crystal, can you tell us what we're going to talk about in the wrap-up after the episode? I sure can. So in the wrap-up of today's episode, we talk about what music I'm playing in the salon while I'm at work every day. Uh, we talk about the Mellotron, Travis picking, Sumbuck, which is Taylor's side project, and we go over the ranks of kitchen staff and kind of the org chart of hierarchy. That. Hierarchy. That is the word that I'm looking for. Great. And we also discuss the advantages of having a sushi boy over a pool boy if you are into that cougary kind of thing. All right. Well, that sounds great. I can't wait. But for now, please enjoy my interview with Mr. Taylor Meyer. Now you're coming through my headphones. Check, check. Check, check. One, two, one, two. Okay. How are we doing? We're doing great. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm well. I just got back from the record store, dropped off a couple couple more copies of the Sunbuck record for him, and now I'm eating a bowl of fruit. Very good. I'm kind of obsessive in the way that I eat, just an addict in nature. And so pretty much every morning I eat oatmeal with fruit and sometimes I'll go crazy and add some like almond butter or some extra granola in there, some coconut granola or something. And then, Oh, go crazy. So you said you were headed into the woods. 
Yeah, we're going to go stay at a, a buddy of mine's cabin down in um, Laurelville, like outside of Hawking, just for a, a couple nights and some hiking. Okay, cool. I think I saw a little bit back that you were heading into the woods to do some recording. Were you guys recording the album in, in the woods this time? We did. Yeah, we we stayed at a really cool spot down in North Carolina, about 35 minutes from Durham. Okay, um, yeah. Um, just way out in the woods on like 15 acres and, um, this really beautiful studio that some friends of ours built and, um, we made a new camp record. Very cool. You guys have pretty much made every album in like a a different location so far. Yeah. And continuing on that trend, did the setting change the way some of the songs came out this time and like... Or did you have it more planned because of such a long time with quarantine? No, no, it definitely, it definitely changed things. I mean, like the nature of this year for all of us, you know, it definitely changed the songs that I was writing. It's not so much like a classic, like, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky, lovey-dovey camp record. It's a very real touching on heartbreak and loneliness. And we chose to work with a producer too, for the first time in our careers. I mean, with by and by, we worked with two awesome gentlemen, but they were kind of more of a, like a lighter touch. Mm-hmm. And with this record, we worked with a, a guy named Brad Cook for most of the tracking of it. And it was a really awesome experience. I learned a ton. That's awesome. And on this album, is it you and Evan Westfall and Matt Vincent and then Joe Cavillac on keys? Yep. Featuring also on this record is the first time we've had um outside players and i had a few of my idols play on this on this next record phil cook oh wow is a phenomenal uh you know phil yeah yeah phil's on it the one of the drummers from bonnie bears name's matt mccon plays some on it nick from sylvanesso played some accordion just kind of randomly cool yeah bunch of cool cats and then nathaniel rateliff actually came and joined us for the last three days and lent his voice to it as well which was really fun that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So as far as the band, though, is that pretty much the main four that will be touring this album then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When did Joe officially join the band? So Joe's been a good buddy of mine for like seven years now. And we've always, he's played piano for a long time and just kind of like novicely, but he started getting good. And then we started bringing him out on tour as a roadie. He's a phenomenal painter and he wasn't really doing much at the time. So started coming out with us on tour and then just like messing around on like our opening bands, keyboards, like during soundcheck and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I suppose it'd be about two years ago coming up like this, this summer. And, uh, he was sort of like, posing to me the question of like, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to play with you guys on a serious level. How can I make that happen? And I just told him that if he went home and learned every note of every camp song, even if there wasn't piano on it, that, that I'd let him play with us. And, you know, sure enough, he went home and, and did that for me. That's awesome. Recently I interviewed uh, Paul DeFiglia who had been the bass player with Langhorn Slim in the early oh, cool. days and kind of been doing, gone back to doing that recently, but he was with the Avett brothers for a bit when Bob had to step away from the band. He had come in and played bass, but then Bob was coming back playing more regularly. He kind of wanted to stick with the gig. Right. So he knew how to play the piano a little bit. So he just started you know, honing his chops a little bit and playing around the band being like, Hey, you know, this is something I could do. And then he ended up touring with the Avett brothers for like six years before, but now he's a producer. He's got a a studio in Nashville called daylight. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's how it happens. You know, you just kind of like fall into it sometimes. So you mentioned, um, bringing in like an accordion on this album. And I, I was kind of listening to your album and I just have a lot of eclectic music taste. And I was wondering if you guys had ever thought about doing anything kind of epic, like starting to bring in like orchestral kind of sounds with like cellos and violins or, or, or horns or any of that kind of thing. We've dabbled a little bit with brass with camp, you know, yeah. their song like so cool and autumn leaves that have kind of brass moments. But as far as camp, like each record grows a little sonically, but we take a lot of pride in being able to replicate it like almost identically on stage. Yeah. So when it comes to string arrangements and big brass arrangements, like I'm not going to tour with a string quartet. So <laughs> So we're not putting one on the record. Right. That's not to say that we like used a lot of this on the, uh, on the record. This is a melody one, uh-huh. which emulates strings and brass quite well. Yeah. Um, 
So there are elements of like flute and woodwinds and brass on the record. But as far as like uh, a live arrangement, it's we like to keep it pretty raw. No, I can definitely understand that. Maybe someday get commissioned to do like a piece for a movie or something and you can go crazy on a single song or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on something like that currently. Okay, very cool. With the new album, you guys came out with a couple of songs in 2020, and then you had the the one that you came out with this year, Square One. Are any of those songs planning to be on the new album, or is this a whole fresh new slate of songs? You know, originally I I thought like Officer Love and Fall, Fall, Fall would be included in the next record. Mm -hmm. But as you can imagine, you know, quarantine led to a lot of songs. So by the time I got to North Carolina, I sort of had this whole new batch and we sort of decided that it was it's it was going to live on its own. We actually have like half of another record done, too, that we've been just chipping away at here. So that's separate from the North Carolina one. So there's a lot kind of coming down the pipe. That's, that's cool. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have been like, well, we've had this and then you go in with like 30 songs and you think that you're going to get it down to this many. And then you end up with a whole other album. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind, we'll go back a tiny bit, kind of come up. So you grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Evan and I are both from Columbus. Um, we've known each other since we were like eight years old or something. Right. And mom and dad were both around growing up. Yep. Both of our folks are, uh, together and both of them still live in Columbus as well. And do you have any brothers or sisters? I have two younger brothers. Yeah. They, they both live out in Montana. Okay. What are they doing with their lives? My middle brother, Ben is a house painter and he went to school for photography. So when we tour, he's our touring photographer. Oh, and Charlie, my youngest is, uh, online to be a, a trout guide, fly fishing guide. What were mom and dad doing growing up? My mother is a muralist. She's a painter. Um, so she's done a bunch of different things like, uh, commissioned by like the Columbus zoo to do these huge murals way back in the day, all the way to like pet portraits to just like commissioned canvases. And then my dad is a financial advisor. When you were in high school, played hockey? No, that was Ev. Oh, that was Ev. Yeah. You just, you just liked hockey and Ev played hockey. Yeah. We're just, we're just fans. Yeah. Okay. But Ev, Ev played hockey in high school, defense number seven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And you guys have been, like you said, you'd known each other since you were young, but kind of became good friends in high school. And I heard a story. Evan went to go ask a girl out in the fifth grade. Other way around? <laughs> no, it's Ev tells it. I mean, that's Ev's, that's Ev's version of the story. It, it gets misconstrued. It gets misconstrued. Basically, Ev. Uh, I <laughs> is this not fifth grade either? <laughs> no, no, this is fine. Um, Ev. <laughs> Let's see. It was, it was sixth grade and Evan okay. was, Evan thought he was dating a girl. She did not feel the same. I guess I went to summer camp and happened to meet this young lady unbeknownst to me, you know, her and I started dating. She was my first girlfriend and okay. Evan's Evan still says that she never, she never broke up with him. So <laughs> that, <laughs> that I was, I was somehow the problem there, but, uh, I swear I was innocent in the matter. Right. What was her name? Her name was Amira. Amira. I remember my first girlfriend, Emily. Emily, yeah. Yeah. Young love. Oh, yes. So, Matt, though, you heard at an open mic in Athens and then at your album release at your house, and this would have been up in Athens? Yep. Was it a house you were like renting, living in at the time? or? Yeah, I lived with six other guys for two years in this awesome little house, 73 North Congress. And I actually had met Matt. He came to a camp show where we opened up for fruition. And I think I signed a CD for him after the show. And I just, I always, I knew his face just like from, you know, just seeing him around town, like mm -hmm. Athens, you know, relatively small town. And when you hang, you kind of hang with like-minded people and so Matt and I were always like kind of one friend away from each other. And then one night at Casa Nueva, which is like the open mic that I kind of got found at, he was up with a couple of buddies playing a Dr. Dog song that I knew. And he saw me just kind of side stage being like, can I, you know, can I come up and do like the three part or whatever? And he waved me on stage and we sang that and then just became fast friends after that. And yeah, he, uh, he opened up for us at like the biggest house party we ever threw where my living room ceiling almost collapsed. And we, uh, 
that was like kind of camp's birthday. Maybe a fire hazard. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then after you did that, did he leave and go to work in Colorado? Yeah, he did. Matt graduated with a, I don't know exactly what his degree was, audio engineering, something. That's what he studied at, at OU. And then he kind of just cold called a bunch of studios out in Denver, which was where his sister lived and got a job at Colorado Sound as an intern. And when it came time for Evan and I to make the second record, we reached out to see if he could basically, you know, get us like a, a discounted rate on like a studio. And like, and so we went out and recorded at their studio B and uh, that's how we made boys was like two weekends out in Colorado. And then you had a, a Columbus, Ohio music teacher, Jesse Henry, that plays with the yeah, bike drivers and, and Donna. Yeah. Was that somebody that you had started taking guitar from at like a young age or? Yeah, exactly. When I was uh, 15, I quit football and lacrosse and just kind of like fell in love with music. And my mom was just like, well, you can't just like quit your sports and like do nothing. So like you got to you got to do something with your day, you know. So I um, bought an acoustic guitar and started taking lessons from Jesse and um, kind of like instead of learning music theory or scales, I just asked him, I would just have like a list of like five songs every week and we would just learn them and try to solo over them or try to sing harmonies. And yeah, he's kind of who taught me like what, what music is behind all the magic of it. When you were learning, were you always into the singing side of it, learning how to play and and sing at the same time? Or did you think you were going to be a guitar? That's all I wanted to do. I mean, I, I like, I learned guitar as like a vessel for my songs. You know, I just like, as soon as I could play and sing, I, I was writing songs and it was a very freeing feeling for me. When you guys were, um, were in high school, your heroes kind of maybe were like, Bon Iver and um, Petty Fleetwood Blind Pilot Blind Pilot oh still like I think my most profound live show I've ever seen uh, you just mentioned that you had the Bon Iver or Justin's drummer on your album have you met uh, Justin in, in Israel since you guys have I have actually not met Justin or Israel both of whom are I'm obviously massively enthralled with but no um, come into contact with like a lot of people in each other's universes I think but I haven't met either of them I, I can't wait for the day and so you mentioned that you were putting out some some Buck albums. You, Matt, and Evan all have kind of side projects with some Buck, El Camino Acid, and The Wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, how did uh, some Buck come about? And were you just wanting to put out some different music or? Yeah, you know, I just, um, I write a lot of songs. And, you know, mm. not all of them come across as straight shooting camp songs. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. know, you know, when I write a camp song and um, if it resonates heavily with Evan, you know, we take it there. But some stuff is just like whether it's more personal or a slightly different feel. I just I needed a little outlet. So with some buck, I just kind of like, you know, no expectations, just started tracking stuff and just had like tons of friends come and play on it with me. And it's also an excuse for me to like play drums and bass and all the things that I don't necessarily get to do with camp. Right. How early on did you uh, start doing the kind of multi-instrumentalist route? Um, relatively late. I, I haven't like, I wouldn't consider myself like a natural player, even, even with guitar. Like I had to work very hard to be able to sing and play at the same time. And I've always been decent piano player. But when Evan and I met Matt and this group of Athens musicians, we just sort of, sort of started going over to everybody's house and everybody had a drum kit and a bass. And it was like, if somebody else had the guitar, like I got to learn how to play these. So just started playing drums and bass just off my ear and just went from there. El Camino Acid has kind of that punk rock with a little bit of like mix of strokes and TV on the radio. And then I hear a song like Ohio and I hear a little bit of that punk rock strumming in the guitar. Were, were, were you guys into kind of the rock and punk rock in high school as well? Yeah, we, I mean, we love rock and roll. 
I mean, Evan and I listen to, you know, all ends of the, the earth as, as far as it comes to music. You know, we like jazz. We like we like the strokes. You know, we like classic rock. Honestly, you name it. Like, there's something I can tell you I like about it, you know? Yep. Yeah, it was kind of cool. You're not the first person to say that, like, on, especially on the first record. It's like <laughs> we used to kind of joke and say it was like folk punk because our shows would get so rowdy in the beginning days, like, that people would literally mosh pit. <laughs> and it was like... I don't know if any other band with a banjo and a guitar front man are like mosh pitting. Well, that's, it's right in my wheelhouse. I grew up as a punk rock kid and I play, I play guitar and banjo now and uh, I felt it. Yeah. Good. And I do connect with bands like that. And I find that more and more on the bluegrass side and in the folk acoustic Americana, like a lot of people have that kind of rock upbringing, which I think is kind of changing some of the sound of what the way that folk is today because there there's a lot more. Yeah, I love how broad of an experience folk music is these days. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be like Travis picking or, you know, ABAB songwriting to, for it to be considered folk anymore. You know, it's like just it's kind of a spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes more sense with you know the history of folk music. Yeah. You know, just either telling love stories or, or getting out a message either way. Mm-hmm. So after high school, you moved up from Columbus to Ohio and you went to school to study ceramics. I went to Athens as well, but I went to Athens, Georgia to go to UGA to study. Oh, love that town. Love that town. Another great music town. But the ceramics route, what had guided you in that? Was that your mom being into painting or was that something you had done in high school or did you just kind of go up there and pick? Yeah, I did it in high school. Uh, honestly, like it was just in high school, you either had to do shop, you know, like wood shop or painting or ceramics. And I just like chose ceramics because, you know, me and my buddy wanted to be in the same class and then just like really, really took a hold of it. And yeah, like had had to put together a portfolio and that's what I was accepted to, to school for. Didn't last long in actual college, but I, I still have a, a wheel downstairs and I throw almost every day. Do you? Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Have you done anything that you, you like lately? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I threw a vase in a, in a ramen bowl recently that... I can't wait to finish up. So on the ramen bowl, when you guys were doing your open mics, you were working as a a sushi boy. Is a sushi boy like kind of the sous chef of like a sushi restaurant or is it more of like the kitchen assistant? Like where does that fall? Yeah, I was more of like a kitchen assistant. Okay. I would make, you know, I would make the rice and the spicy mayo and peel the cucumbers and do all that. And then I kind of got promoted from that and then hired my buddy to do what I used to do. And then I was like the the B roller. Like my boss DJ was like the head chef. And then I was a sous chef, so to speak. So I lived in Japan for a while and I did a year of like study abroad and my one of my best friends growing up was from Japan. And so I started eating sushi in like middle school because I'd go with him and his family. What brought you into the the whole Asian side of things? Had you gone there or just just something that was around you? I have not had the pleasure. We, we honestly can't wait for that opportunity. Yeah. That's like, you know, the majority of the meals we eat on tour, speaking for Matt and myself, Evan and Joe are very much like hamburger every day guys but matt and i eat ramen or pho or sushi like every single day so you'll you'll enjoy it to go to yeah my dog i gave i gave him the rest of my oatmeal and i just realized the bowl was still on the floor i just kicked it now he's now he's wondering (laughs) he's sleeping across from me he's gotten to be a pretty good uh podcast dog he used to whine at me and i'd have to get him to go to work with my wife but now he just chills. So the story of camp, when you guys were doing those open mics, had you already started calling yourself camp or was that something that kind of came about? No, that kind of came about like, uh, originally, like it was, I was just doing the open mics alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Evan didn't move down to Athens until 2015. So I was just playing these open mics alone and just kind of, I had like a batch of songs that like Ohio, So Long Honey, All the Debts and Vagabond were all a part of. And then I'd mix in some covers too. And then Ev and I just had always kept in touch and he wasn't doing so hot. He was going to like a community college in Columbus. And I was just like, you should just, you should just get down here, man. And like, come play music with me and like, 
meet these people. And yeah, obviously, as the story goes, he did. And then um, didn't really come up with the name Camp for some time, but it was always like something we liked. And then when it came time to put out the first record, we thought about renaming the band because we didn't think that anyone would be able to find us if we just called it Camp with one A, you know? But we just really liked the name. So I just kind of stewed on it for a while and decided to add an A because we were a duo and there was two of us, obviously. And if you look at it, it's kind of looks like tents or teepees, you know, yeah. and it's just fit the vibe. Okay. I had heard you give that explanation before, but it was at some interview where the guy didn't seem to know your guys' names. And, <laughs> and, and it was one of those where it was really awkward, like pre-band interaction. Right. And so I wasn't sure if you were just fucking with him or if, if that was the, the real story. Cause there's a solid chance we were. That's one of the reasons why I like to do these kind of more long form and in-depth interviews because I hear some of these guys that interview and they're just, you guys are rolling through at like a, at like a festival or something and they have no idea. No, I mean, it's horrible. Sometimes they like actually get your name wrong or have no idea where you're from or you can just tell they've literally never heard a song in their life. Yeah. So you're just like, why are we here? But the other thing that I had heard was that it was... And I was, I'm wondering if this was something that was after the fact or if you're just fucking with somebody, but consuming abnormal amounts of makers and PVR. No, that is, that is complete fan lore. Oh, really? Yeah. That is like total fabrication. We actually, I saw that that was on our Wikipedia the other day. <laughs> oh, was it on? Is, yeah, dude. I try and not use Wikipedia. Unless like I'm really struggling to find something because sometimes the links in the bottom are good to connect mm -hmm. with, but almost never use anything directly for somebody's Wikipedia. Cause no, someone, I think Matt was like, yeah, dude, I Googled our name the other day and clicked on our Wikipedia and you're like, you should check it out. So I, I pulled it up and it was like, it's dead serious says like that the acronym stands for that. And it was just like, I'm not going to get on there and take it down. I think it's hilarious, but, um, camp is not an acronym. Yeah. So getting back to Jesse Henry, Jesse was the person that came up that heard you after you guys were starting to play some songs and you kind of had a bank of songs and then said, well, I have some friend that has some recording equipment and, and we could lay these down. You guys went to an old Ford showroom? Yeah. Yeah. Troy, Ohio. Our buddy Brad Denson had this building and he was trying to start this venue called Square Roots and just kind of had this place outfitted with like a bunch of tables and a stage. And we just got these kind of like whiteboard things and put them behind us with blankets on them and then played the entire record in two days, just live takes after live takes. And I mean, Ev played the kick drum with his hand, like it was a very ragtag production and we made the best of it. Well, that's awesome because I mean, considering that it's come out amazing and you guys just recorded like basically like four takes or a few takes of each song and then just picked the best one because it was straight live, right? Yeah, it was straight live. Like I, I sang everything live. Basically, we we got there like the afternoon on like Friday. We played all the songs through once and then we went out and kind of like, not like a celebratory dinner, but we're like, let's go to this Mexican place and just kind of kick back and do a couple tequilas and relax. And we had, we went and had this great meal. And then when we came back, we were a little buzzed and Jesse was like, all right, I'd like to hear like one more crack at Vagabond while you guys are loose. And we were like, okay. So we did Vagabond and then he just pop his head back in the door and be like, do iffy. And we were like, okay. And we just redid the entire record and used like almost every take was like a late night take. Oh, really? Was the whoo, always a part of it or did that come a part of it as a result of tequila? Uh, no, the, the yip <laughs> existed before the, okay. before the Escalon. <laughs> well, that's too bad, but it's a great song. Yeah. No, the funny story about the yip, when I did it live, I thought I ruined the song because I thought I was like, I just did not get the yip right. Like I thought I sounded like a chihuahua. And then when we listened to it back, I was like, damn, that's like in key. Like that sounds really sick. It, it was, it's great. So my wife and I, I found out through preparing for the interview that I found you guys shortly after that album went up. I had no idea at the really? time. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those yeah. things where it was one of the Spotify deals where it was new music, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. one of those that's connected to like the stuff that I listened to and it popped in there. And then my wife had a similar thing. Like we found it 
separately, but at the same time, we were just dating back then. And uh, yeah, we found you about that time because I remember shortly thereafter, and I think it was 2017, you came through with Rainbow Kitten Surprise. But my niece had invited me to a show. She said, hey, my plus one dipped out for Rainbow Kitten Surprise. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll go. And then she found some better plus one and didn't call me for the show. And then <laughs> shortly after I found out that you guys were the ones opening up for Rainbow Kitten Surprise, then I like berated her. I was like, you fucking, <laughs> not only <laughs> did you leave me out of the Rainbow Kitten Surprise show that I really wanted to go camp. to, but I missed camp too. Yeah. It was, yeah. But so you guys just basically, you, uh, you record the first album and then you put it up on Spotify and it starts gaining traction pretty quickly. Closest you want to be to an overnight success. I know that no musician ever wants to hear the word overnight success. And you're like, motherfucker, I've been doing this for a long time. Right. But at the same time, it was a pretty quick escalation in an age where, yes, that's more prominent now that you're going to not have to go through all the old ringer and like go through this recording. But you went from being a local Athens band basically to an international band in a very, very quick period of time. It was, it was definitely wild. You know, when Ohio started going viral on Spotify, like our top cities were like Munich and Mexico city and all these crazy places. And, uh, we were just kind of waking up every day and checking the Spotify numbers going like, what the hell is going on? Like, and then friends and family texting us being like, Hey, you guys popped up in my discover weekly. Like you're on this new music Friday. You're on like this playlist that I listen to every day at work. And we'd be like, I mean, we don't know what the hell is going on. Like we didn't, we didn't do anything, you know? (laughs) With that, then uh, you got reached out to by the your manager that's out of North Carolina, mm-hmm. and then you ended up bringing him on. Was he connected with Rainbow Kitten Surprise, and is that how that got connected, or was that in another way? No, you know the Rainbow. Ki- so we we hired Adam like shortly before the Rainbow Kitten phenomena happened and Adams yeah he's a good old North Carolina boy he's been with us from the start but the rainbow kitten thing was actually we didn't have an agent and I think as just a favor to Adam RKS's agent was having a really hard time finding the boys support that they liked and like Sam the lead man he just kept on saying like no like they don't fit the vibe they don't fit the vibe and for some reason Ben their agent showed him all the debts I owe and I guess it just it caught Sam's attention and and they took us on like five tours. I was going to say, so after you started touring with them, they, they must have changed their mind a little bit because it's not typical to go on that many tours with one one band for a while. So No, no, it's not. No, we just, you know, we really enjoyed each other's company. And I think like a lot of like our, you know, us being so naive and young and just like, having a ball we don't know when this is going to happen again so you know we're just like singing our hearts out you know slugging light beers and just like being goofy and uh i think a lot of like the pressure that they felt from these sold out shows and record labels and all that like i think we helped kind of counterbalance that and just like showed them how to have fun and like you know not care about much else other than having fun. Yeah. It's so cool because I I think you both have such unique voices. I do think that Sam, I, when I first heard it, I was like, is, is this like the guy from TV on the radio doing like an acoustic perform? You know, there's something about it, but with your voice and you know, you singing from such a young age, when did that raspy kind of tone start to come through and, and really start to develop? You know, I always like, I always had kind of a, like a little bit of a smoky thing going on. And when I started trying to cover Ray Montaigne songs in high school, I was like, Oh, well, I can kind of roar like this, you know, and then you go to college and you start smoking and drinking every night and it just kind of helped manifest my sound. And now I, now I've got this rusty butter. And in doing that, let's assume pre-pandemic in this discussion, but with touring and playing every night, are you learning to have to help protect your voice by less smoking, less drinking, or is it just part of the mix? No, no, it's, I don't have to smoke to sound like this and I don't have to 
drunk to sing like that, you know, obviously knock on wood, but like I, I've never lost my voice from singing or otherwise. Um, I've been to, uh, I forget what it's called exactly, but I've had my throat scoped, mm-hmm. you know, and they like made me sing while I'm doing that. Cause I just wanted to check out exactly what you were asking. Like, am I damaging myself? Like, is this straining my body? And, um, the, you know, vocal specialist or whatever she was, uh, told me that I had perfect technique and that I wasn't putting any extra strain on my body. That was just the way I sounded. So then when you were taking guitar lessons, were you also, I mean, you talked about getting harmonizing and some of that from your teacher. Were you also taking kind of vocal lessons and learning any of that? I have never taken a vocal lesson. No, I would like to. I think there's plenty for me to learn, you know, especially when it's concerned with like breath and breathing and just techniques to put even less strain on my notes. You know, I just I think I've, I'm pretty um, I'm pretty competent singer, but I could, I'm always hungry to, you know, be better. Yeah, I just started at 41 taking singing lessons just to try and get through some of my deficiencies. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's fun. I mean, you learn a ton. You talked about your touring with Arceus. Do you have like a, a, a favorite memory of those first tours or a funniest thing that happened that you, you think back on that is uh, acceptable to put out into the world that you are <laughs> willing to share oh. with the world? Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, you know, how tour goes. It's like, there's, there's countless stories, but one that I always thought was just hilarious was we were, we were in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and it was the last show of like, I think the second tour we were doing with them. And we played this really badass bar called the frequency. And afterwards we were, you know, it was last show or tour. So everybody's riding high and we're like, let's go get fucked up. And so we're walking up the street. Who, who knows who flicked the cigarette? Cause we're all smoking, but somehow a cigarette makes it into Rachel's purse, who was our KS's tour manager at the time. <laughs> And we're walking down the street and then Ethan's like, Rach, your purse is smoking. And she's like, what? And like holds it up. And there is like flames coming out of this purse. And it was the middle of winter. So she starts slamming it in the snow. And we're like, oh my God, oh my God. And then she starts freaking out, blaming Ethan going like, you're buying me a new designer bag. Like all this shit. And it was just like, oh, it was one of the worst smells I've ever smelled too. Like plastic leather just melting. Oh, that was wild. So during this time, you guys go, you had said you go to record voice side A and voice side B where Matt was working as the engineer and then Matt comes on and then you go back in record by and by down in Dallas, Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. And then you, you started headlining the tour gigs off of by and by. Was that something mm-hmm. you had been doing leading up to it consistently or was that kind of the inception point for when you really took that over? No, we had done a couple of headline tours. Okay. Not like to any caliber of the venues we were playing with RKS. It was sort of like whatever tour we played with RKS, we were playing the tier down, you know? And then when by and by happened, that's when we had, you know, songs go to the radio and um, started playing, you know, bigger rooms, 750s, 1000 caps. And yeah, luckily it's just kind of organically grown from that. It seems like you guys have just stayed a big buddy band and not had any serious squabbles or any issues so far. Nope. <laughs> No, no. I mean, you know, we have the typical fucking like road tiffs, but like Matt and Evan and Joe and I, we all live like a mile apart from where I'm at right now. And we hang out every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I liken being into a band is just like a marriage. And some days you're just annoyed and you're just in a bad mood. And so then that kind of spills over into whatever else is going on in the world. And then other days, uh, everything's groovy and you're just best friends. And no, it's, that's how it is. I mean, Evan and I, we jokingly say, yeah, we've been married for five years because we just, we just had our five year anniversary of the first wreck. And you guys are playing like a live stream coming up. Is it April 27th? Do I have that date right? 29th. 29th. Okay. I don't remember if I saw this was during by and by, 
Did you guys, you guys got into bowling at some point? Absolutely. When was that? That was probably two winters ago. Was, I mean, we've always liked bowling, like, you know, my entire life. I've enjoyed bowling, yeah. but we all bought balls and shoes and started going like twice a week, three times a week in like the winter of 2019. And it's just fun to have hobbies like that where like, you know, if you're in a different city every night, you know, you got to have something to hold to and like, we just found that we really liked letting off steam, you know, just finding an alley every night and going and having a couple of beers and chugging the rocks down the lane. Yeah. I grew up as kind of a bowler. I would go visit my dad in the summertime and uh, he was working all the time. So he just dropped me off during the day. But that was bowling has been something that I've been good at for a long time because my oh, dad man, would leave me at the bowling fun. alley by myself for like six hours. And I just, there are worse places to be left. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There was always a pinball machine and a uh, bowling, you know, that's yep. not bad. How, uh, how has your bowling skills gotten, have you gotten to get pretty good? We're pretty good. Yeah. Scratch. My high is a two fifty six. Yeah. Do you average around 200 or 180s our average i'd say my average is like both slightly below 200 yeah okay we should bowl when the next time you come into town absolutely yes for sure let's do it i'd love yeah i was wondering with like sports and things i i was going to ask before i gotten it wrong that it was evan that was a hockey player if, if you ever played pickup games anymore does he ever go out and play anymore he doesn't know. I would imagine that you could get so injured so easily. And that's why I was thinking about it. <laughs> I, I don't know why he doesn't. He always talks about joining the men's league, but he's never done it. But him and our guitar tech last tour uh, or the, the tour previous to pandemic, they went out and bought rollerblades and sticks and stuff from like a play it against sports mm -hmm. and would like skate around the huge like dance floors of the venues and like pass puck back and forth. That's fun. Yeah. So going back to last year, you guys came out with Fall, Fall, Fall that has the accompanying music video related to the environmental policies. I actually just ordered the, uh, the Bill Gates new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And he's kind of, oh cool. I, I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I've just heard him speak about it. But it basically, mm -hmm. he's laid out a realistic plan of how we can like switch and transfer energies, understanding that metal is still going to be in use and some of these other things, you know, that fossil fuels do now with like nuclear power and some of these other things and the way that we can, we can actually make it happen. So I'm interested to see that. So you talked about on the new album that it was a little bit darker and, you know, real and related to what was going on. Did it end up having any of those connections of like officer in love and fall, fall, fall or, or officer of love, uh, or was um, it more related to like personal, you know, that feeling of loneliness? It, it was more, it's a more personal, uh, record, but I still think it resonates with just like the, you know, the climate politically and you know, racial and social justices and just the toll that's taken on, I think everybody's psyches and hearts and, you know, and feeding our own, you know, our own sadness as well. And the new album, I'm guessing it's going into mastering now or is it done or? No, we, uh, we're kind of taking our time. Okay. We're still in like the mixing arranging phase. Are you planning to release it sometime later, I guess this year, or are you maybe even into next year? I think the fall, this, this fall, don't take my word for it, <laughs> but that's, that's what I have it in my head kind of loosely right now. So I have one last trite question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Is there anything that we didn't mention that you'd like to promote? And after that, is there any advice or something you want to say to the world? Any piece of wisdom that you want to let folks in on? Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. Both, both uh, one and the same for me, you know, it's, it's that, um, the content of my songs and of our music is focused around love and the environment. And those are the things that inspire me. And those are the things that keep me going. And I think that those are life forces for, you know, honestly, uh, our entire existence as humans. And I, I just want to put emphasis on the fact that like, we need to take care of the planet as much as we need to take care of each other and need to take care of ourselves, you know, I think that the health of the places around us is in decline. And when you realize that like happiness is 
truly derive from like being in those places with people you love. It's, it's, it seems like an easy, you know, it seems like it'd be so easy to care about and everybody would be involved, but just my two cents on the matter is just like, you know, take it easy on each other, take it easy on yourself. And if you can, you know, take it easy on the environment too. Well, I think that's a good, good way to go out. And I definitely agree. I think it's, it's time for us to get our shit together. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on and I'll be in touch, but, uh, in the meantime, uh, enjoy your trip and, uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Marcus. brother. Bye. Peace. Peace. Do you like being your galadas? Yeah. And getting lost in the rain? Or you could do like Major Tom. Lost in the capes. No. Lost in the capes. Um, like pina coladas. Getting caught in the rain. Do you like pina coladas? Getting caught in the rain. Making love at midnight. I don't know why, but there was a time where in that song, if if you're not into yoga, and for some reason I thought... It was Yoda? No. It's if you're not into yoga and I'm into cocaine, I thought is what he was saying there. Like it just sort of flowed in my mind and I'm like, yeah, that seems like this, this is where this should be going. I've been into both of those things at I different points in my life. Have not really been into either. Okay. So we're here today to talk about Taylor Meyer, singer and guitar player for Camp. Camp. With Two A's. With two A's. That look like tents. That looks like tents. I didn't realize that camp was actually a reference to like the outdoors and camping and like that very nature driven feel that they have to. I, for some reason, I just thought these two things were unrelated and I love them more now. Oh, yeah. And did you think it was related to like the style, like a, that's very camp? No, I honestly thought it was just going to be some obscure reference to a word that was, yeah, like obscure and completely unrelated to their music. But I'm super stoked that it is absolutely just kind of about the outdoors and loving the outdoors. Yes. Okay, so the producer on their new album, which is coming out in fall, but we won't hold him to it because he asked us not to. Okay. Is Brad Cook. Um, he's a producer and multi-instrumentalist out of North Carolina, and he has produced albums with Bon Iver, Phil Cook, who he also mentioned played on the album, His Golden Messenger, Mipso, and he did Kevin Morby's 2020 album, Sundowner, hmm. which was really good. So. so this guy's got a style, for sure. Yeah, I think they into. fall into that that style. I mean, that, that version of... Folk, folk rock yeah. or whatever it is. That is a very specific Spotify playlist that I listen to every day while doing hair. Okay. Yeah. What's the name of it, Crystal? Um, uh, it's Live from Banjo. Right, right. <laughs> season was, one mixtape. You know what? I was listening to the mixtape in the salon the other day. Because a lot of times I talk to my clients about how, you know, my husband has this podcast and they're like, well, what kind of musicians? And so the other day I just literally put on the Spotify playlist or your Live from Banjo playlist and played that all day. And it was great. It's great. It's, it's a great. Goal. I it's enjoyed a great it. Playlist. There's yeah. so many great guests on this show. I just keep getting. It was enjoyable. I feel so lucky. It's, it's good music for uh, doing hair too. Not going to lie. I always get compliments on my music choices at and the salon. And making love at midnight. We very rarely listen to the Pina and Colada song at work. in the rain. Okay, that is all. Okay. The Mellotron, he, he mentioned that they used a Mellotron for doing some sounds, and he said, you know, it's got some pretty good... It can sound fluty. Flout, flautisty. That's... No, we're no. not going to use okay. that word again. All right. So the Mellotron is an electromechanical musical instrument developed in Birmingham, England in 1963. It evolved from the similar Chamberlain. The Chamberlain was the name of the instrument, but could be mass produced more efficiently. The instrument is placed by pressing its keys, each of which pushes a length of magnetic tape against a capstan, which pulls it across a playback head. Then as the key is released, the tape is retracted by a spring to its initial position 
and different portions of the tape can be played to access different sounds. So it was like pre-synthesizer. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and so... So is it somewhat old school that he still uses this particular thing instead of a synthesizer? Yeah, it's kind of like an... Okay, so there's a little history behind that. It was used a lot in the 60s, like Beatles, all these different bands used it in the 60s. It was really huge for a long time. Okay. And then in the 80s, it started to wane. Synthesizers got big. Like my dad? Yep. Okay, just checking. That was very confusing. Uh, Crystal's <laughs> father is named Wayne, and so I use the name Wayne, just so you guys are aware. <laughs> uh, she, Thank you, Marcus. She used a Marcus dad joke. I did. I just dad joked the shit out of that. You did. So they stopped making them in 1986. But then in the 90s, Radiohead and Oasis and some other bands started to use it as like a, it's a cool sounding. They dug it up out of the garage. Mm -hmm. And then others, and then a revamped model came out towards the end of the up to tens or the yachts, as you like to call it. Yes. That is between 2000 and 2010 for the listeners. So there's a documentary on the Melaton called Melodrama by Diana Dilworth and explores the rise and fall of both the Chamberlain and then the Melaton, which was its successor. And what the, is that cartoon you always, whenever Megalod something comes on, you impersonate an old cartoon? Snaggletooth. Snaggletooth. Clyde to Megatroid even. That's uh, that's all I can think of when you say it. He's a big pink cat. Hey, you didn't happen to get a screenshot when Taylor pointed at said Megalotron. I think I tried. I don't Did know you? that I have it, though. Because it was a moment in the interview that I'm like, I want to see what he's pointing at. It was in the background. Okay. Can you, when you do your photographs on Instagram, can you link one a photograph of one? Yeah, I'll link a photograph. And I think I did get a screenshot. It just might not be clear. Okay. I went okay. for it. You I know, went for it. Well, it's very difficult. You have to, you know, it's three keys and then like you have to hit enter. Buttons. No, it, you have to hit. You have to stand on one foot. Control shift five at the same time and then hit the button to okay. capture. It sounds like a lot. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Sure. You're getting upset. Well, yeah. In 2001, I went to this film festival and there was a movie called Southlander. And I remembered that there was a, I thought it was a Mellotron in the movie. And I think it was, but I wanted to look up what this movie was because I remember Beck was in it. And I think he was the person that had, I don't know, so Chance, a hapless Los Angeles musician, is searching for the coveted Molotron synthesizer through the classified ad paper, The Southlander, and meeting interesting characters along the way. And I feel like Beck is the one that ends up having the Molotron. He's like the main character at the end. The name of the movie was what? Southlander. It was one of those weird, obscure movies that you went to by yourself. Well, it was at a film festival. Okay, of course. So I was there with a lot of other people. Sure, sure. By myself. Right, right. <laughs> hey, Marcus. Hey. Tell me you're a dork without telling me you're a dork. I went to movies by myself a lot. A lot. A I lot. still usually prefer to go to movies a by myself. A painful amount. A painful amount of movies, mostly by myself. So, but it, it uses the same concept as a sampler. So basically, but it, it uses analog tape rather than having digital samples. And so it has like a unique sound as a result. Great. Cool. We got Mellotron covered. All is right. this a Megatron event? Flight to Megatroid event. Let's move on from that. Next up, what's next in line? He was a big Bon Iver and Blind Pilot fan growing up, which I was singing to you at the beginning. That was Blind That's Pilot. Blind Pilot? Yeah. Do they also do a song called like One Red Thread or something like mm -hmm. that? Okay, cool. I'm up to speed now. Okay. I don't know what the name of that song is, but I know what you're talking about. It's not called One Red Thread? I think it is. That's really hard to say. One Red Thread? I think that sounds easy. Say synthesizer. Say Buttigieg. Buttigieg. <laughs> Say synthesizer. No, thank you. Synthesizer. Synthesizer. It is like, for me, with the lisp, I mm. get like, I still, yeah. that's one of those panic attack words. I'm just going to go synth from now on. Yeah, do it. I'm never using yeah. synthesizer ever again. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm cool with that. Okay. So he said he was a big Bony Bear, Blind Pilot fan growing up. And I asked him if he had met Justin or Israel. And Justin is Justin Verner, who's the singer and founder for Bon Iver. Okay. And Israel Nebecker is the singer for Blind Pilot. 
Okay. Okay, cool. Travis picking. Yeah. He said, you know, you don't have to know how to Travis pick. So the core concept of Travis picking is simple. You keep a steady beat with the alternating bass notes using your thumb. At the same time, you use your index finger and or middle fingers to play the treble notes, often in a syncopated rhythm. This technique is a great gateway to fingerstyle guitar for beginners. And that was something that I used, and I had no idea that it was called Travis picking, I think, right. until I was in You my didn't find 30s. out that until, yeah, a couple of years back. Yeah. I think but it's sort of like if you're watching ago. someone's hands do this, it looks like the same hand motion you, you would see a banjo player yeah, doing. Yeah. I mean, there are some... Are they doing it with their fingernails or are they wearing finger picks? You can wear finger picks or you do it with your fingers. Okay. Or you can use fingernails if you grow them out that long. Gross. Okay. Um, But I used to always grow out my thumbnail, but I don't anymore because of climbing. Yeah, I'm okay with you not doing that anymore. Okay. Yeah, I think that I had just naturally come into it because I had started with a bass. And with a bass, you know, oh. you're, you're, you're bracing with your thumb, but then you're pulling the two fingers. So the three fingers just kind of... All this makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some buck. This is Taylor's side project and entitled Oh Sweet Cafe Racer. It was released in 2020 and somehow I had slept on its existence. I don't know. I guess I was caught up working on other stuff, but uh, I found out about it as I was researching and it was one of those things where I'm just like, God, I'm terrible fan so i was listening as i was doing research like in the background uh-huh. so i hadn't gotten that deep dive like where i was like really you know just put on the headphones and listen to it yet and i've done that since but it had some of the orchestral components that i had asked him about okay you know i was thinking uh something much bigger than what he did with some buck i was thinking wrecking crew like the phil specter wall of sound okay we're going back to pet sound sessions. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily beat yourself up over this. The thing about a rabbit hole is that your head is in a hole. So things can go on around you that you might miss. Like, I don't know, like your wife. I think the last part really hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can get the last part. <laughs> and I don't forget about you. <laughs> I know you're there. You're listening to political podcast over in the corner. It's fine. <laughs> and playing dots on my phone. You're playing dots and listening to political podcast while I rabbit hole into, I mean, I'm looking for new music. I am listening to old music. There's a lot of music. But again, don't beat yourself up. The thing about being in a rabbit hole is your head's in a hole. What is it that it Langhorn Slim says? I don't know. He says things. You got to take your... You got to pull your head out of the ass to get the shit out of your eyes or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember him saying that, but I like that. It's something along those lines and I'm, I'm botching it. I'm sorry, Sean. Mm, sounds about perfect though. It is. Whatever he said is very clever and I'm botching his. All right. So he worked as a sushi boy and I kind of asked him where that fell into the ranks of the kitchen. And then he kind of explained, but so I'm just going to give the, the standard. A sushi boy makes me think that he's wearing a funny paper hat. Uh, he might've been wearing a little hat. Yeah. But I was kind of thinking when I think of sushi boy, I also think of like pool boy. Oh, he's my pool boy. Like, you know, huh. the, that piece that like older women have on the side, you know, it's like, okay. the, oh, he's my sushi boy. You know, that's I guess if I were to decide between a pool boy and a sushi boy, I personally would choose the pussy the, <laughs> the pussy boy. <laughs> the pussy boy. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other level. And we'll talk about that some other day. However, uh the, the sushi boy I think would be my choice because then you get to eat. That's a big deal. Oh, like he was bringing sushi. Just bringing sushi. Just like Trays of sushi and fanning me or something. I'm I can support that. The pussy boy. The pussy boy. <laughs> I like it. He's fine. All right. I bet he has great hair. Sushi boy, pussy boy, whatever. Pooler pond kids. So the ranks of a kitchen are executive chef. The executive chef sits at the top of the kitchen hierarchy. Their role is primary managerial. Chef de cuisine is the head chef. The sous chef is the deputy chef. Welcome to, welcome to Banjo, Colorado. Um, deputy chef. Okay. No, we're not gonna. Nope. <laughs> chef de 
Parte is P-A-R-T-I-E. How do you pronounce that in French, Crystal? I don't know. Station chef. Comi, comi chef is junior chef. There's a kitchen porter. And then this is where I really needed your help on the French. Escolarity. Maybe? No, I can't help you. Dishwasher and aboyer, waiter, waitress. Where does sushi boy fall in? Uh, right under pussy boy. No. So I talked about they did fall, 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 and they did that video in relation to like climate change and some of the you yeah know, some of that stuff. And I mentioned that I was reading Bill Gates' book or was about to start reading Bill Gates' book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, and I have not gotten to finish it, but that was the name of the book. I just wanted people to know that that's the one that I'm talking about. It's, it's called How to Avoid a Climate okay. Disaster, and then it's got a lot longer subtitle. But And it's basically about like the way that we can start using nuclear power and some of these other things to transition away from some of the fossil fuels and be able to get to a point where we're not going to kill the world, I think, by like 2050. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. But it's going to take a lot of, it's going to take a lot of getting on board, but it's going to take countries like China and some of these other ones too. We're not weird. Yes. There's some big countries out there that are putting a lot of shit in the world. Yeah. Not just us. It's going to take some. I mean, it's nice to know work. that it doesn't squarely fall on our heads, but it also is a little scary to know that it doesn't fall squarely on our heads. That's we have to convince a lot of other people. We've got a, we've got some Lucy. You got some explaining to do. Nuh -uh. Ricky. Okay. From I Love Lucy. Oh, never watched it. What? We were too young. Lucille Ball. Yeah, yeah, I know the show. I just didn't watch it. Oh wow. Okay. So it was like on Nick at Night or something. Yeah. Where was I supposed to watch Nick at Night? I don't know. I watched it in college too. Oh well. Okay. Well, that's. Marcus, tell me you're a dork without telling me you're a dork. Um, That's all. That's I all. I spent a lot of time at the bowling alley. <laughs> no, I guess. See, how great is it that they're they're bowlers? Like, I can't wait. They I, seemed really excited about it. I hope we get to go bowling. I also thought it was fun that they bought rollerblades and were rolling rollerblading around venues before shows. I I'm really hoping to talk to Evan. No, I had a big snafu. I I got. That Evan was the one, I thought Evan was the one that liked hockey and Taylor was the one that played hockey and I had screwed up. But hey guys, I make mistakes. All right. I don't you know, sleep a lot. The level of research you do with some of your interviewees is borderline stalkerish. So I would almost find it, and maybe they don't know because they don't listen to every episode, but if you listen to every episode, I would find it a bit comforting if you fucked up a couple of facts about me because you get weird with some of your research. <laughs> like, you know too much about some of these people going in. Well, thank you. I think that's a compliment. It, it was, uh, it wasn't the nicest compliment, but it was a compliment. Like well, I could have done it better. I don't care what kind of compliment it was. I'm going to take it as a nice compliment. All right, good. Cool. Yeah, but so anyway, Bill Gates' book, Climate yes. Disaster. Right. I am now going to read it on the play. I've started it, and seems good so far. That's seems great. like readable. You know, it's not too too highbrow. Do you know that the New York Times uh, back in the day? I don't know if they still do this, but they tried to write it like an eighth grade level. I did not know that. So that it was universally yeah, understood. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if that's still a thing, but I I remember reading in one of my journalism things one time that they tried to write it like a kind of cap it at about an eighth grade level so that it was easier to take in more user friendly mm -hmm. there yeah. you go that's not a terrible idea really no it's not but i am about to get on a plane yeah because we are both vaccinated we are vaccinated we have both been through the ills yes oh god it was rough wasn't great no but we're now both vaccinated, so we are going to Mexico. And by the time that this gets released, we're already home from, I'm home from Mexico. Yeah. And you're in Hawaii, but don't come rob me because I'm here and I'm tired. <laughs> so don't think that you can come to my house now because I'm here. Right, right. He's he's home, guys. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for Senior Taylor. Oh, no. I was thinking I had one other thing that I was going to, here's a dumb uncultured question uh what makes something a ramen bowl it's like the shape and style of bowl like they are made in these big i mean if you see a ramen bowl you know what a ramen bowl is it's kind of that thing well the one time i've gone for ramen was with you oh and that place wasn't. and it just seemed like a very big bowl 
Yeah, it's got a kind of a specific shape, but I think he was making it for ramen, but they do have a typical shape. But I've been oh. to a lot of different ramen restaurants. Mm-hmm. Ramen, it's not raw. It's it's weird. It's like an LDR kind of ramen, ramen. I can't even, I'm not even doing it right now because I haven't practiced Japanese in a while. Oh, okay. Ramen yacht is like a ramen shop. Gotcha. But we, here in America, we call it ramen. And it comes in a dried up package. Comes in a little dried up package from those marachuans. And if you're really in a pinch, you can just eat it raw like a cracker. Yes. I knew far too many people that did that. With peanut butter. Have you ever seen anybody eat it with peanut butter? No, but I was listening to, uh, I think I was listening to Behind the Bastards yesterday. And he, I think, was joking, but had said that in college, he used to put coffee on his ramen noodles. Mm. Um, To like get him to soak a little bit? I don't know, but it sounded terrible. Okay. I just wanted to go back in time and feed college Robert Evans. Not that I'm good at feeding anyone, but at least I could introduce him to micro nachos. All right. Well, that's all. And uh, uh, maybe we can talk about micro nachos later, but. They are a delicious and nutritious way to snack. There's nothing nutritious about them. Oh, God, no. Of course not. Well, they have corn in it. Yeah, it's corn chips and cheddar cheese and you microwave it for 30 seconds and it's pretty much as close to gourmet as you get with me anyway. I still eat like a college person because I I can't adult yet. You make that one breakfast casserole that I like. Breakfast tater tot casserole. Yeah. Because again, from Iowa, Mm -hmm. everything is a casserole. All right. Well, I love you. I love you. And... I love all you guys out there in the web of verse. And next week I am deciding between two guests right now. So it's either a male or a female. If you can pick which person it is of those two sexes, I don't know what I'd do. I don't think anybody could ever do that. There's just no, no. chance out of 7 billion people that they could pick between two and get it right. I mean, I guess there's a chance. I guess. And just remember, kid, we're all in this together.